Where's a good station? Glory. Glory. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again, relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello, everybody. Once again, I welcome you to the Guardians of Grace podcast. I'm glad that you could come. I'm glad that you're listening. And I'm asking that the God of this universe would give you ears to hear and eyes to see and a mind that understands the truths of your word. Because all I'm going to do, as always, is just point to scripture and maybe read them out loud. But the scriptures are going to do the teaching. And as you remember, the scriptures have been teaching us that we were unwise to use a Ten Commandment system, and we were wise to use a, a system of grace whereby the Spirit does for us what we can't do for ourselves, like Galatians 3.3. 3. Are you so foolish after having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to attempt to fulfill the goal of the Christian life by human effort. And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, you, you shouldn't use your human effort. You, you do not want that Ten Commandment mentality where you, as a human being, get on the performance treadmill and see how fast you can go because you'll never go fast enough on that human performance treadmill to get get a compliment from God, to, to get an A from God, or that he would owe you anything. We were looking at the verses that showed us, like like the Galatians 3.3, which I quoted or paraphrased, that we are foolish to live the Christian life in our own human effort because in our own human determination and capabilities as we looked at in Romans 7, sin actually dwells there. And when we take on the commandment mentality, sin springs to life and it deceives us. And through the commandment, sin kills us, makes us feel so ashamed that we wish we were dead. Like Paul said, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do and I practice the very thing that I hate. But if I'm the one practicing the very thing that I hate, it is not me, but sin that dwells in me, sin that lives in me, that is in my humanity, not in the Spirit of God, but in my humanity, sin lives and dwells and dominates me and causes me to embarrass myself and not live up to my expectations as a Christian. It was a law of dynamics that we looked like looked at that governed our human effort and causes us to fail naturally. But that led us to, to realize that we have uh, two natures, actually. Like it says in Galatians 5.17, 
the human nature battles against the spirit and the spirit battles against the human nature for they're in opposition to each other. Therefore, you do not do what you want always. That's Galatians 5.17, talking about our, our human nature in our divine nature, our human abilities versus the Spirit's capabilities. And it it goes on in in Galatians 5 to say, Now the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. That's the fruit of the Spirit. But it says the deeds of the flesh are evil, drunkenness, carousing, envy, strife, jealousy, fighting, and every such evil thing as these. That's what our human effort produces. Even though we're trying so hard to obey God, like in Romans 7, Paul said, I'm doing the very evil I hate, but I agree with the law. I'm confessing that it's good. He's literally trying just just to no avail in his human capabilities. We, we don't make it. Humanly speaking, we don't make it. That's why Galatians 3.3 would say, are you so foolish after beginning in the spirit? Are you now trying to attain the goal by human effort? Okay, by, by the human nature. When we looked at passages like in 1 Corinthians 2 where it took our human nature and called it the natural man and took our spiritual nature and called it the spiritual man. And we went through, took a whole podcast just to look at several different ways our two natures are illustrated. And in the First Corinthians 2 passage, uh, starting in verse 10 or so, it says, We have not received a spirit that's from the world, but the spirit from God, so that we may receive the things of God, meaning we may receive and accept spiritual thoughts expressed in spiritual words because the natural man it says cannot receive them their foolishness to the natural man he's not able to to understand them but the spiritual man is it, it says that was using an illustration of our two spirits but we went through several illustrations of our two spirits like first corinthians 3 1 where where he said hey after, after saying in the last verse of 1 Corinthians 2, you have the mind of Christ, he says, but I could not address you as spiritual men, but I addressed you as men of the flesh, as human men. For I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not able to receive the solid food because you were acting like mere men. That, that's calling a spade a spade, our human nature. You are acting like a human being. You are not acting like the Spirit of God. He says, for if there's jealousy and envy among you, are you not still fleshly? Are you not still acting like a mere man? Showing us the idea that is just saturates the new covenant, the gospels and the epistles are saturated with this idea of the the two natures. Let's call them the two natures. The old man, the new man, the spiritual man, the unspiritual man, the the human nature, the divine nature, whichever synonymous way you want to use to describe these two natures, 
they they are described that way in the in the Bible. He who walks in darkness and he who walks in light. Well, that's another illustration of the two natures. But with that in mind, now that we know that this Bible is teaching us about our two natures, I want to do a a podcast about what happened to our two natures at the cross when Jesus died. And to do that, we should probably start off in in Genesis 17. We are looking at a covenant that God made with Abraham and every generation that followed Abraham. In other words, from generation to generation, they should all follow this covenant. What is the covenant? Well, it it starts off in, let's say, verse 10 where he says, this is my covenant. The question is, what is the covenant? Well, he says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout all generations. Here he's saying, I'm making a covenant with you. Every male among you must be circumcised on the eighth day. But I emphasize those words and because they mean and. They they mean there's more to it than just that. Okay, every male is going to be circumcised on the eighth day. And then it says, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me. In other words, it's a a sign of an invisible covenant, one that's not visible. It's the sign of an invisible circumcision. This is a covenant that God made with Abraham way back in Genesis. And this theme, it runs throughout the whole Bible until we get to the Gospels. And Jesus himself starts talking about the fulfillment of this covenant. This covenant where he said, you shall be, every male gets circumcised. Then it says, and every male gets circumcised in the foreskin of his flesh. And that's a sign of the covenant. That's the, in other words, what you're doing is a sign of what I'm going to do. You take some skin, some foreskin, cut it off and throw it away. That's a sign of what I'm going to do. You're giving an earthly illustration of what I am going to do. I am going to cut some skin and throw it away. And this is what God does go on to fulfill. And we're going to see him, we're going to see Jesus start giving some hints and clues that he's about to fulfill that covenant. Turn with me to John twelve thirty two, And in John twelve thirty two, we see Jesus make a curious statement. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And for years in the the modern day church. I I always knew that to be because that's what I was being told from the pulpit that 
that means, you know, if we lift up and praise Jesus, he'll draw all men to himself. So what I want you to do is, is praise Jesus all the time when you're out amongst your friends so that they'll come to church. I, I want Jesus to draw all men to himself, and he does that when you lift him up. But the next verse tells us what he meant when he said, if I be lifted up. It, it goes on to say, if he be lifted up on the cross, he would draw all men to himself. So Jesus wasn't saying, if you praise me, I'll draw all men to himself. He's giving us a clue towards the topic that we're on. And he says, if I be lifted up on a cross, I will draw all men to myself. Now put that thought together with this thought in Mark 10, let's say 37 through 40, where James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, have come up to Jesus and they, they said, Teacher, we want you to give to us whatever we ask you for. And Jesus asked them, What do you want me to do for you? And they say, Grant that we may sit in your glory on your right side and one on your left side. Let us sit on both sides of you when you're sitting in your glory seat. That's what they were asking Jesus to do. But what a response Jesus gives. Tell me if this isn't off the wall or not. Jesus says to them, you do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink of or be baptized with the baptism I am being baptized with? And the two disciples says, yeah, we are. We are, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you will drink that cup and you shall be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But whether you sit at my right hand or my left, I, I don't know about that. But I do know that you're going to drink that cup and you're going to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with. Well, wait, 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 wait just a minute. Um, Jesus has already been baptized. What are we talking about? A second baptism? What, what could this second baptism be? Well, just remember Jesus said, if I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. And turn with me to Romans 6. And we'll look at Romans 6, 6, 2 and following. Because in Romans 6, 2 and following, we're going to get an understanding of what Jesus meant when he said, talked about that second baptism to his disciples. We're, we're going to understand clearly what he meant by that. In Romans 6, uh, let's start in verse 1. What shall we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Or, and this is something we're supposed to know, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is that second baptism. 
when Jesus was hung on the cross, he drew all men to himself, just like he said, if I be hung on the cross, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Well, when he was lifted up on the cross, he drew all men to himself. And this is from God's point of view. Man didn't see this happening. But from God's point of view, we were all baptized into Christ Jesus as he was dying on the cross. And as you know, the wages of sin is death. And through his corporate identity, we died because we were, in God's eyes, baptized into that death the death that he died on the cross, and then we were buried with him through this baptism. We were placed in him, and then when he was buried, it meant we were buried with him because we were baptized into him when he was buried. So there we begin to see it. Well, it tells us point blank what that second baptism is. And for years, I didn't know that there was such an idea. I just thought baptism meant I go in the water and get wet and come up a, a Christian. I, I didn't realize that it, it was symbolism for something. Me going into the water is symbolism for me being baptized into Christ Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. It becomes far more noteworthy when, when you begin to realize what baptism is and what it's a sign of. But it says, through the miracles of God, God pulled this off when Jesus was put on the cross. And from God's vantage point, he saw all men drawn into Jesus. They were baptized into Jesus, and then they were buried with Jesus when he was buried. And all men were buried, and they paid for their sin debt. Now, it goes on to give us the idea of our two natures a little bit, but it says, for we have all become united with him in likeliness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeliness of his resurrection. And get a load of this. Knowing this, that the old man of us was crucified in him, Knowing this, that the old man of us, it's literally the ancient man, and it's talking about the old nature of us, the natural man, the man of flesh, this thing that we're, we've been talking about for the last few podcasts, the idea of flesh and spirit. Well, the old man of us, the, the flesh of us, was crucified with Christ because he drew the flesh of us into him, the old man of us, and it died with him on the cross. It was crucified with him. That is that old nature, the nature that we see running rampant in our lives, the nature that embarrasses us. The good news is that from God's point of view, that old man of us, that part of us, died with Christ on the cross. This old man of us, which is a, a symbol for the human nature of us. You remember Jesus saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit, meaning human beings give birth to human beings, human beings with human natures that the sin dwells in and it embarrasses us because it makes us do what we don't want to do, well, 
that part of us was baptized into Christ Jesus and died and paid for its sin. That happened a long time ago. In God's eyes, that part of us that we see running rampant in our day-to-day life, in our day-to-day experience, that, in God's eyes, was put to death a long time ago through the body of Christ. When Christ died, that part of us died, that flesh We'll see in a couple minutes that old man of us is equated to the flesh. The flesh is usually used when the Bible's not mixing words about it. It just, when it's blatantly talking about your sinful nature, your sinful human nature, it usually calls it the flesh. And as you know from previous podcasts, that flesh, that word sarks or sarcucus, can mean the flesh that's your skin. It can mean the flesh that's on your arms, meaning the meat that's on your arms. It can mean, mean all, all flesh as in all mankind. And it can mean self-determination and human effort and everything. So there's a lot to learn about that word flesh. But as you can see, there's a lot to learn about these two natures. And so far, what we've learned about this old man of us is that when Christ died on the cross, it was baptized into Christ and it was buried because it had died. The part of us that embarrasses each and every day, the good news is that from God's point of view, that which we see annoying us right now, God saw as crucified a long time ago. That's why he can say, your sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more because in God's eyes that happened so long ago that he can't remember it or he won't remember it. So once again, I'll, I'll say that in Romans 6, our human nature or the flesh is depicted as the ancient man of us or the old man of us. It's literally of us, that part of us that's called the old man. But let's look in Colossians where things are talked about very plainly. And the Bible uses the word the flesh. Look with me at Colossians chapter 2, maybe starting in verse 9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, not in your human effort, in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him, get a load of this, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Do you see what it's saying? It, in him that covenant God made with Abraham, where he said, every male among you shall be circumcised. Well, this is happening through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Colossians 2.11 just told us. Let me read it again. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh 
by the circumcision of Christ. He, he's saying Christ did the circumcision that you for thousands of years have been doing a sign of when on the eighth day you circumcise your baby and throw a little flesh away. It's a sign of what God did for you, the miracle that God pulled off for you and I, the good news of what God pulled off for you and I. He cut that part of us, which was known as the old man of us, the flesh of us that embarrasses us every day. He cut that away, and it goes on to say, "You let me read it in verse 11 again, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, there's that baptism word, which you were also raised up with him through the faithful working of God who raised him from the dead. In, in other words, when God raised Jesus from the grave, he left the flesh in the grave. That's when the circumcision happened. When Christ came out of the grave, we were circumcised from the nature that embarrasses us each and every day. From God's point of view, it died and paid the price for its sins, and it was left in the grave. And then we were raised to walk in newness of life. And when we were raised, we, we were when we were raised, we were circumcised from all our sin. And it, it says, He raised us up with Jesus through the faithful working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. When he made us alive, that's when we were circumcised from all our sins, the sin debt, the thing that God mercifully calls the flesh and crucified. It's a beautiful thing that he calls everything that we don't like about ourselves and everything that embarrasses us and calls us to fall short of the glory of God, he calls the flesh, and he left that buried in the grave when he raised Christ out of the grave. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in the first verse, it says, and being dead in your trespasses and sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, I'm adding, which you formerly walked in to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them you also formerly walked. You see, how it's saying that spirit now works in the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience is another synonym for the flesh. The sons of disobedience, the old mans of disobedience. Do you see how it is you formally lived? Because he's talking about God saw all that that is now 
and that's what it says, and you being dead in your transgressions and sins, the spirit who is now working in you, from our point of view, the spirit, old man of us, the unspiritual nature of us is still living from our point of view, but from God's point of view, it formally lived. That's why it says, and among them too, you all formally lived in the lusts of our flesh, there's the flesh word, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature, there's the human nature, children of wrath as the rest. By nature, our nature was the child of wrath. The wrath was poured out on Christ at the cross. That's why half of these four verses is written in the past tense, and then half of these verses is written in the present tense. Present tense intermingled with past tense right here in these four verses, or six verses, which which it goes on to say, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were, and there it goes back to past tense, dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's literally saying that in Christ Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, and he rose into heaven, that in him we we had been baptized and we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, even though right now we were seated with him and still seated up there, even though we don't see that. Right now, all we see is ourselves down here being by nature a child of wrath. But God saw what we see now as present tense. He saw that as past tense because he crucified that to thousand years ago in Christ at the cross. And what I mean by saying he crucified that, he crucified the thing called the flesh, the thing that's the human nature that tried to please God as much as it could, but it fell short of the glory of God and sinned, and the wages of sin was death. It was death to that, what God so mercifully called that human nature and didn't identify us as the sinner, but he identified our human nature as the sinner, or as it was depicted in Roman, the old man of us. He identified it and poured out his wrath on it and not us, praise God, and he buried it and not us, and he left it and not us in the grave, but he raised us up with Christ. And what does it say? Verse 5, even when you were dead in your transgressions and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the kindness of his grace it goes on to say, and in the coming ages, which is now, the 
21st century, 2020, we see our human nature try as hard as it can to please God, but it, it doesn't please God. Like it says in Romans 8, 5, the mind controlled by the flesh does not subject itself to the laws of God, nor is it able to do so. The mind of the flesh cannot please God. But it joyfully concurs with the laws in Romans 7. It agrees that the laws are holy and good. It just can't uphold them. That's why Paul said in Romans 7, In my human nature, I am sold into bondage to sin. And in my human nature, sin dwells and wages war in me and makes me do what I do not want to do. That nature does. But these verses that we're looking at today put that human nature in the past tense and show us that from God's point of view, not our point of view, from our point of view, he's very much alive. And you'll notice once you've been turned on to this idea that there are temporal thoughts and eternal thoughts all through the Bible. A lot of times you see us viewed as past tense, and that's from God's eternal point of view. That's because he remembers our sins and lawless deeds no more. He makes what we see present tense being so sinful, he, he sees that as the old man of us and that it was crucified 2,000 years ago in his eyes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you did that. Thank you that you are so merciful to us to not count our sins against us, but make up this thing called the old man of us and count the sins against him. Make up this thing called the flesh and count and pour out your wrath on it. Do you remember the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh and the two are in opposition so that you don't always do what you want and the acts of the flesh are evil, immorality, drunkenness, carousing, fighting, and all the things like that. Those are the deeds of the flesh. But in our point of view, they're very much present tense. But in God's point of view, as you can see from these scriptures, these scriptures are asking you to believe that from God's point of view, it was past tense. God's point of view, we formally walked in these. Just read Ephesians chapter 2 and tell me if you don't see God's point of view and then our point of view, then God's point of view, then our point of view, because it, it says we formally walk, put us as past tense, then it says present day now working in the sons of disobedience. Formally walk, present tense walk. Formally did this, present tense did this. Present tense is from our point of view. Formerly walk this way is from God's point of view because it died 2,000 years ago on the cross with Christ because he mercifully put his wrath out on it and not us. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you did. And he calls that the circumcision of the flesh. He said, this is the fulfillment of the covenant I'm making with you, Abraham. I will circumcise every male, and every male will be circumcised in the foreskin of his flesh, and that shall be a sign of the deed that I did for you, of the circumcision that I did for you, a circumcision 
made without hands, Colossians 2.11 says. A circumcision done by Jesus, it, it says. It says, done by Christ, made without hands. A circumcision made without hands. These are all the things that we didn't see happen when Christ was put on the cross. We didn't see all men drawn into him and all men baptized into him as he was dying on the cross. We didn't see it, but God mercifully saw it that way. And God poured out his wrath on the old man of us there at the cross. And then he buried the old man of us and raised the new man and circumcised us from the thing that he calls the flesh, mercifully calls the flesh, that paid its sin debt and is dead. He circumcised us from that so that we can walk in newness of life. Those are all the things that God did to fulfill that covenant that he made with Abraham, that Abraham was to do a sign of. Don't let that ritual that has been done for the last 4,000 years to every poor little male child, don't let that ritual go without understanding because it's a symbol of what God did through Christ on the cross. It was a very merciful thing. That's why we did not get condemned of our sins because he, he changed the game. He changed what what was getting the wrath? It was the flesh was getting the wrath, not Steve. Steve did not get the wrath because the old man of Steve got the, got the wrath. And it was buried. And I, Steve was circumcised away from it and raised up and seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus at the right hand of God. Just like those uh, two disciples asked, can we sit at your right hand? Well, we were sitting at God's right hand in Christ because we were baptized into Christ. Isn't that what Jesus said? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? And can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink? He said, you will be baptized with the baptism and you will drink the cup. And we did drink the cup of his wrath because we were baptized into Christ Jesus when he was hung on the cross, and when he died, bearing the wrath for us, the old man of us died, the flesh, and it was buried in the ground. And then when we were raised from the dead and seated in the heavenly realms, we were circumcised from that thing called the flesh. That's how we were saved, you guys. All this is an illustration of that word saved. This is how he saved us at the cross. This is what it means to be saved. It means we were separated from everything about ourselves that we do not like. We were separated. He said, I'll separate you as far as the east is from the west to your sins. Well, he did it by circumcising us from the flesh. I, I hope this is beginning to, to make some sense because for, for me, it makes such a clear picture of the just... It gives me the magnitude of the miracle that God pulled off with Christ at the cross, just what all really went on at the cross. Because all, all we saw in the only testimony of man is that he was put on a cross and somebody speared him in the side and somebody gave him a little vinegar to drink and he 
died. He talked to the two other guys on the cross, and then he died. And they took him off the cross and put him in a grave. That's all human history records because that's all human men saw. But these passages here are trying to, they're asking you to believe what God saw. Believe the way God saw it during that time of death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that we take by faith because we couldn't see it or prove it. We, we take that by faith. That, that's what's known as an eternal truth that we accept by faith. There are temporal truths that we can see, and we'll look at those. A temporal truth is, is that the human nature is very much alive and runs rampant in our lives and embarrasses us all the time. That's a human, a, a temporal doctrine. That's a temporal thought, which is very much true. The eternal thought is that in God's eyes, that happened 2,000 years at the cross, that sin that you present tense see yourself doing today, in God's eyes, happened 2,000 years ago at the cross because of the miracle God did on your behalf. One died for all, therefore all died. Do you remember that in 1 Corinthians? One died for all, therefore all died. The love of God controls me because I am convinced that one died on behalf of all, therefore all died. Do you begin to understand now why it's so important to, to learn about our two natures and how each nature acts in which nature to depend on. Because when our human nature is manifesting itself and we are the most embarrassed, we have to rely on this truth. Paul said in, in Romans 2, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We were supposed to know that we were supposed to have been told this idea that from God's point of view, we were placed in Jesus and paid the sin debt. From God's point of view, we're supposed to know that this is what happened, even though we didn't see it. We can read about it, and now we're supposed to know that this happened on our behalf, that we were saved from our sins. We were saved from the wrath of God. This is how we were saved. This is what it means to be saved by God at the cross. Now, there's many other ways in which the word saved is used. We can be saved from ourselves. We can be saved from the human effort. Remember, oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death in, in Romans seven twenty four. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. That's a present tense temporal day-to-day -day experience salvation where you're saved from yourself. You're saved from embarrassing yourself. Same thing with, with Romans chapter 10 verses 4 and following. It says everybody that confesses that Jesus is Lord shall be saved. If you look at that word shall be saved in the context of how it's written in Romans chapter 9, the end of chapter 9, and the first 16 verses of chapter 10, you'll see it's saved from embarrassment. We can be saved from embarrassment. 
we can be saved from ourselves. We can be saved from a guilty conscience by understanding this truth that he saved us at the cross. Understanding this truth saves us from feeling so guilty and miserable in feeling like you can't come and pray to God when you've had a bad day, when the opposite of that is true. The worse your day has been, the more you need to come to God and pray for him to separate you from that day, to separate you from that embarrassment, to separate you from that human nature that is always failing, and to for Christ to take over for the rest of the day and just manifest himself. So that way you've got Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27, living his life through you and pleasing your wife. Now she's not going to be aggravated with you because Christ is speaking through you and it is very much saying the words. He is very much saying the words that soothe your wife or your husband the words that do not aggravate your wife or your husband. Christ in you will save you from yourself and your inability to say the right thing to your wife or husband. Christ in you will save you in, in a temporal salvation from yourself. Okay, we see that saved can mean several different things. Let me get back to what Christ did at the cross because he saved us at the cross by circumcising us, by killing what embarrasses us in God's eyes and circumcising us from what embarrasses us each day, but is past tense in God's eyes. He circumcised us from that. That's how we were saved. That's how we were saved. We were saved by getting circumcised from that evil. Hopefully this makes sense and you can see how unbelievably good news this is, but it tells us what happened to our two natures at the cross when Jesus died. What happened to our two natures at the cross when Jesus died has just been explained with these scriptures. They they told you what happened at the cross when Jesus died. Now you're expected to believe it. Or like Paul said, do you not know it? Now now you know it. Now you know what happened to your two natures at the cross because the Bible just told you what happened to your two natures at, cro- at the cross. So therefore, you're expected to believe it. And it says in 1 Corinthians 2 that the natural man will not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. Your natural man will say, no, that's too big of a miracle to do. I can't believe that. But your spirit will receive what these words on the cross, in the Bible, are saying about what happened on the cross. Your spirit will receive these spiritual thoughts expressed in spiritual words. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into a death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that we may walk in newness of life. This is what you're being asked to believe. This is what the spirit does believe and what the natural man 
does not believe. That's why I'm always praying for us to receive what Ephesians 1 says is a spirit of wisdom and revelation and that the eyes of our heart be enlightened so that we can know the hope of the saints. This is the hope right here that Christ paid the sin debt for us and that we don't have to pay that debt. He took sin away, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world because he put the sins of the world in the grave and left it there. He circumcised us from the sins of the world and left them all in the grave. He, he's the Lamb of God who took away those sins. With that in mind, let, let me pray that may we please, please, please have the ability to manifest the Spirit enough to receive what these Bible verses told us because I didn't tell us a thing. Nobody's arguing with me. I just pointed to scriptures that told us these truths, these eternal truths. These are eternal truths. But Lord, your book told everybody these eternal truths. So anoint your book and anoint their minds to understand. Give them the mind of Christ to receive what your book says, because it's your book that says we were baptized into Christ. It's your book that says we were raised from the dead. It's your book that tells us all this good news and allows us to realize that we have been saved, saved from sin. In Jesus' name, I ask that you root us and establish us in these thoughts, that they become rooted and established in us, that these thoughts take root. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.